Love the haiku. Love the sonnet. Love the quatrain and the couplet. Love the words. From East Leeds FM. of Look Closer, the Found Fiction podcast. If you've never listened before, this show is a creative search for inspiration. In every edition, I'll meet up with a different writer to take a journey around their neighbourhood and explore the places, people and communities around them. The things that inspire them as creative thinkers and the makers of great things. This time I went to Sheffield to meet writer Akeem Balogun, who's recently released his debut short story collection, The Storm. Akeem's stories have appeared in POM Journal, Writing as Resistance, Now Then Magazine and elsewhere. So let's see what we found on our creative search for inspiration in Sheffield. How's it going buddy? You alright mate? How's it going? Good to see you yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure you've ever been to the side of Sheffield before. Uh, I haven't. I've just no, been to the city centre. I, I was just, I feel like I look like someone who's just going to interview people <laughs> like about their thoughts on Come like on Halloween or something, you know. <laughs> No, 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 good to see you here. Yeah, like too far from the city centre anyway, to be fair. No, no. How you been though, man? Good way up from Leeds, I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, well, no, it's it's good to have you on. It's good to have you on. I mean, where where are we going to be going today? Okay, so we're going to going to the park. I forgot the 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 name escapes me. I mean, I had it in my head on my way here, but Uh when I've touched down, I've forgotten. But the moment I see it, I'll know exactly what it's called. But yeah, so this is the route I usually take. Yeah. I'm walking from the city centre to my house, it takes about about half an hour. So uh-huh. obviously that's a good excuse to get a lot of steps in. You know, think about a lot of stories and just scheme and plan. For sure, for and, sure. Know, concoct all these crazy plans Yeah. Well, so this is just the route I take. Yeah, yeah, let's kind of see what we spot. I mean, the whole premise of the podcast is kind mm. of just walking around and oh, seeing what inspires us and just mm. chatting about writing, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's obviously like approaching dusk at the minute. Yeah, and it's it is, quite yeah, yeah, autumnal, obviously. Yeah. So I'm, uh, I'm thinking, yeah, let's let's see what we can find. Yeah. yeah. I like the headphones though. You got the they new. Uh, well looked after. Reasonably, yeah. More yes. reasonably, yeah. So tell us a bit about your relationship with Sheffield. With you Sheffield. say that you you kind of grew up in London. Just mm-hmm, let us mm-hmm. know a bit about. Okay. What you know about so are Sheffield? We, are we sort of starting now, then, or is it? Yeah, well, we'll just kick it off. <laughs> I mean, tell us yeah. a bit, yeah, about you and Sheffield and your relationship with the city. Relationship with the city. So, first came here in 2003. Yeah, family moved there from um, from Brixton, in, in London, of course. So it was me, my twin brother, uh-huh. my older brothers as well, who were twins too. We all came down, lived in the wedges. So it was in. It was just before we started, a couple months before we started Year Seven, so in the summer holidays. And yeah, that's how I was introduced to Sheffield. It was a lot more. I so said the first thing I noticed was um, just how quiet it was compared to Brixton, because Brixton was loud. I bet. There was music all the time, and in Sheffield, well, in Low Edges anyway, at least, mm. it was quiet and it was green. I mean, compared to London and Brixton, I mean, it was a hell of a lot of trees. There was, okay. <laughs> there was okay. fields everywhere. So big, that was, big hills as exactly, well. Exactly, yeah, right? yeah. Yeah, and that was refreshing, to be honest with you. It was, and that's part of the reason why my mum moved, because it was a lot calmer, and she just thought it was a lot slower. To be honest, she just liked the name of the place. So that was why she... Um, no way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, she liked the name Sheffield. Yeah, but she hadn't actually been. She just thought it sounded like a That's calm cool. place. And obviously, cool. yeah, and don't get me wrong, there are sort of really active areas in um, you know, in, in Sheffield, but this is um Yeah. But where we moved to was quite calm. So yeah, and then um going to school here. You know, I know if I stayed in London I seriously doubt that I would have ended up writing. I doubt it. I couldn't have seen it. I mean I, I used to read right. back in um as a kid back in Brixton, but it was definitely coming to Sheffield. They were going to school, being encouraged, you know, to sort of pursue English and stuff. That that sort of um, just 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 planted the seed of me believing that is something I could do. Definitely, I, I really doubt I would have done it if I stayed in London. Can't see it happening. That's, so, what do you find inspiring about? Well, is it kind of where we are right now, like the trees and the kind of 
you know, wildlife around. Yeah, I think, I think it's more, I think it's more the calmness, you know, if I'm honest, Steve. I think it's more, you can find quite a few calm places, which you definitely wouldn't be able to get back in Brixton, though. Yeah, it feels like you just turn a corner and it, it does it. feel still more still than exactly. where we were when we met. I know? always see more foxes than people than this particular, just through this route of the park. And you don't even, to be honest, it's kind of weird. You don't see many people at all. I mean, not even many joggers. It's a sort of odd, I'm, I'm not sure. But anyway, but it's always a good, I always take this route if I'm heading back home. And I mean, I've been, I've walked through here at all times of the day, 6am, 2am, 3am and most of the time. Right. It's completely quiet. I'm saying that now. Watching an army of people just come, <laughs> just come rushing through. But yeah, it's just it's just a sweet space. And this is um, I mean, when you ask, is there anyone in particular? Well, I kind of well, while I'm moving and I sort of allow ideas to mm. marinate. So you've been through here when it's been pitch black before. Yeah, 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 yeah. And even because I'm not sure after that. Wait, I think the lampposts have been, they've been fixed but for a long time. They weren't working, so it was literally just uh -huh. a bit spooky to be honest because you see the foxes. And all yeah, that. it actually it's reminded me. <laughs> I, I used to live in Glasgow and okay, Kelvin cool. Grove Park in the mm. sort of west end, and they, there's no street lights in there. It's just pitch black at night, mm. and it's not recommended that you walk through at night. It's just <laughs> dark, but like it's <laughs> such a shortcut. It cuts yeah. out like 20 minutes sometimes. So I, I used yeah. to climb over and went go through the park. Oh, and I remember <laughs> once, and I'm kind of like thinking about it as we approach the corner of this path that's just covered in leaves that have fallen mm. of all colours. Um, mm. Yeah, and I remember walking in the pitch black, just kind of looking down, like thinking, you know, I just need to stay on the path here. <laughs> yeah. And I, all I saw in the distance was the end of a cigarette someone was smoking, Ooh. like just a tiny bit of amber that was moving. Obviously, I couldn't see who was smoking. It was that dark. Like and it's kind of reminded me of that here. I can... I mean, I know there are lights here, they're not on yet, but yeah, can be can be quite spooky and yeah. it is a bit of a risk to take. It is, yeah. But it, it can is. get you, yeah, your heart going a bit. And like I said, it's always been, most of the time, it's like, it's just me and you walking through. You know, I think there's, I think there's a, maybe just a bit more wildlife since lockdown. I've seen a lot more yeah, you know, sparrows and magpies and stuff, you know, so maybe. Are you more conscious of that? Do you yeah, think? yeah, around this area, like in my, um, in my garden, I've seen a few more hedgehogs, you know, cats are always there. I've seen a badger. I've seen, um, obviously, the wood pigeons, the magpies, the sparrows. I've seen just the, even, even just, just even in my backyard. We've kind of been doing this show out and about, and we have come to parks and we've gone out into woods and forests and stuff, and mm. the trees have kind of been in full bloom when we've been out, obviously, now oh, the really? leaves are shedding a bit. And yeah. You kind of look up and, and you kind of, you can imagine them as, as characters kind of banding together, you know, almost. Exactly, like a yeah. tree can be a, a symbol of kind of strength and resilience, yeah, yeah, can't yeah. it? And they might kind of look at each other and see how each other's coping <laughs> with the situation, you know, with the cold in this case, you know, and some trees are losing, losing their leaves more than others. And yeah, precisely. I know before, um, in the sort of middle of lockdown, We'll oh, take that path through there as well, it's quite, just, it's quite, it's quite cool. I'm just going to look at this, this yeah, engraving on the wood here, what does this say? Uh, the crumble. The, the crumble garden, the crumble garden. Yeah, we've got Bob over there, grafting into the... Oh the, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. These, these, are, these are the residents. Yeah, it's man, yeah. <laughs> it, it is, it's, I mean, it's just a path that we've taken and we've kind of walked past a, a tree with an engraving there and then a few stones that are laid out like there might be seats, you know, that people might sit on. Someone's just written Bob on one. No, if we take this left hair. Yeah. I, I kind of like that they haven't just blown all the leaves off the ground yeah. as well. You can kind of feel the terrains changing mm, as mm. the years changing. And I think yeah. you're supposed to feel that, right? You know. Exactly, yeah. And I remember in the, in the middle of lockdown, you know, before um, some of the vegetation had been cut down, it was completely, it was dense. I mean, it did sort of... Um, plants or whatever were just sort of almost reaching out and you have to sort of reclaiming yeah yeah what's exactly. theirs you know it was that because they've been untouched for months and but it was a good experience waking up in the morning and just going through this thick you know trail full of um full of greenery but so when it when it all got cut down you were you was a bit not a bit saddened but you know you just, you just yeah. got used to it so so how do you kind of do you write you know when do you get inspired when you were walking out in the country or do you kind of get inspired when you sat at a desk writing like what, what, where do you go when you are searching for inspiration? Uh, it's almost like the sort of walking, the walking side, and or, or the traveling, even that's more just why I sort of um refine ideas that I've usually thought of at home 
or which have just sparked up in my mind, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, unless I sort of, for me anyway, the way I kind of uh, put stories together, I have to kind of, um, I don't want to say force it, but I have to intentionally make it happen. So if we're walking along this path now, and I think to myself, well, I want to write um, a really short story that's only a few hundred words. I have to think of a stem mm. of an idea, like plant, plant the seed yeah. in my own mind like if you want. And then, maybe later on when I'm walking through a path like this, can revisit that seed and you know start to water it and make it an idea, if you know what I mean. So the sort of actual idea for stories don't come while I'm walking up and down. They usually just made at home. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when I'm just when I'm just sitting in, in my room, I just think I want to write something it's entertaining. Metaphor. Mm. I mean, I know that yeah, planting a seed. It, heard that before like so you know the the tree flourishes when you've written the story right mm -hmm. and then yeah. like when does it stop being yours and when does it what, what happens after it flourishes to a story uh, what happens do you think i think uh, i'd say well sort of you know like anyone does i mold it into shape you know so i think it's at a point where my sort of intention is easily um mm -hmm. I don't want to say picked up on, but just easily understood or just easily... Interpreted. Yeah, that's, that's it, yeah. And then once I've got that, it's almost like one or two set readers will I have go through a story first and then I'll go back to it after I've had their feedback. Okay. And then I'll um, let it marinate for a bit. It's going to be hilly now. But I'll, I'll let it marinate for a bit and then... Um, that's the then, yeah, then, return, <laughs> then return to it, make a few tweaks... And then um, think about sharing it out of the world. I'm interested in that. Do you think, do you respond to how people have interpreted your work and factor that into revising a story or? Oh yeah. So you, you bounce off readers in a way. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah? I mean, I'm one of those writers who really sort of write to be, I don't want to say understood because everyone's got a different interpretation of a story, but more just, um, I just sort of, I'm more sort of right, so readers have a, have an easy time taking it all in, because I don't, even if you might read a story and then think it's about something entirely different to what I thought, as long as it wasn't hard for you to digest, I'm happy. Okay. If you know, what I mean, that's sort of the um, that's sort of the aim for me. So it's um, yeah, yeah. So that, that that's 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 so when it comes to getting readers' feedback and whatnot, the reason why I find that important is because it's not so much um, what they took from the story. I'm more concerned about how easy it was for them yeah. to understand. As an experience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because yeah, I wanted to kind of just be like a, a seamless kind of journey. Even, yeah. if, even if you end up somewhere completely different. I mean, I had someone read a story from the book that was written in, um, in voicemails, and he almost got the vibe of zombies from it, which is, I think, absolutely uh, great. <laughs> which that's is, the one from the collection. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The one from the collection. That's it, yeah, Mark Popular, which I thought was. You know, insane, but but he really enjoyed the story. So like how he that. got there, I'm you know I'm fine. I'm fine with that. But as long as he had a sort of smooth time mm. getting to that kind of conclusion, I like the the format of that one. I like literature mm. that deconstructs the yeah, long yeah, form yeah. format, which exactly, works. Like yeah. which works. But it's nice to just bring different it's, approach. It's refreshing, yeah. And another one that he did was uh, texts, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Nothing too serious. That was all Tony text messages. That one, yeah. It was that one as well, which was really popular. And I think, and I think, um, I don't want to say it's easy, but it's um, it's not too hard to think of a, a unique way of telling a story. But because, like you said, that mm. long form way is so ingrained in people, I think writing in a kind of um, almost kind of like a left field way, but making sure that it's as easy to follow as you know the sort of traditional method, which is just a long, yeah. plain story. I think that's the challenge. So let's say me and you wanted to write, I don't know, a, a story told in scratchings on the wall or something like that then, okay, that's a cool idea, but can you make it as easy to understand as reading just yeah. like a page of text? Yeah, yeah, I like that. You've got to put the reader first in a yeah. way, and yeah. Yeah, sometimes you've got to put yourself first, but mm. yeah, you, you want them to have a, to be able to understand it and digest it. Yeah, right? precisely. I mean, definitely for me, I think that's, that's definitely a big, big, um, that's, that's a big part for me, because the whole point, the whole point of the, um, a large, probably 80% of the reason why I write is because I always thought, I always wanted, you know, people I know, or people I knew even, to read my stories and just be able to immediately in, enjoy it. And some, some, some stories are good because they are challenging, mm. but I've never really wanted mine to be like that. I've always wanted it to be extremely 
I mean, I've always, you know, dreamt of, not even dreamt, but always imagined that if an, if an 11 year old picked up my, my book or someone new to English, they could still pretty much get the eye, the gist of what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, I love some books that are absolutely challenging, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't write like that. What Akeem's saying is right. But it took me a long time to learn this lesson. Writing is not about being showy. It's not about using long words and flowery descriptions, unless of course they align with the subject and theme. It's about writing in a way to convey your meaning effectively to the reader. Simple words will often do. When it comes to short stories in particular, there are better ways of testing and challenging your readers than by using inaccessible language. I just caught a glimpse of, as it's kind of descending into night, there's this house opposite side of the street to where we're stood right now with kind of really cosy amber lights and there's a guy just smoking I think on his balcony it's it silhouette like a mannequin. it's like that's quite filmic isn't it? it I don't know it's there's something a bit quite I don't know iconic about that yeah, yeah. Um, looks like the front cover of him George's and he's gone back in now because he probably <laughs> a bit freaked out but I'm just kind of commenting this whole thing looks like the cover of George's um, George's Perec I think um, I'm not trying yeah. to say his name, but he's got a novel called him Life He Uses Manual. And it's like pieces of a puzzle. It and, is, isn't it? Yeah, and, hey, got, like and, and each puzzle's got like a different image on it. And so, you've got... So the window's lit up. Yeah. They, they're kind of like a jigsaw. I like that. You mean, you mean like a jigsaw puzzle yeah, that, yeah. that can be, that can tessellate. Exactly. And it's a mystery. Yeah, yeah. I like that. And you've, your role as a writer is to unify it in some way, Precisely. to shape it, to shape these windows yeah. of characters that we... Yeah, or to show thought. people, like you mentioned before, about items having stories, to show people the stories behind each each window. Hey, that's way. amazing, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah so. I like that. And yeah, each window kind of represents a mood or a character. Exactly, or, a whole life even. Because that's mm. what they are really, isn't it? Everyone's different in these rooms. Yeah, and each room is has a different function and a different role to play as well. And you know, there, there could be some drama that happens in someone's mm. kitchen, or some people could meet. You know, some kind of lovers could meet in mm. the foyer or whatever. You know, it's it, that's it. It's yeah. a puzzle. I love that. I love and you that. Get a good view of the city here as well to your left. This is well. cool. The cityscape yeah, just really, lit really up really at night. Good. It's beautiful. It's mm. a really nice night as well. It's not too windy or cold. You know, I could. Yeah. Could get used to this. <laughs> it's decent. It's decent. So this was a truly beautiful and mesmerising image of this apartment building, with each window lit up in a slightly different way. I kind of saw it as a metaphor for what is our mission as writers, to connect these windows, to connect the mood of the rooms behind them, and to pry inside at the stories of the people who live inside them and what they might represent. It reminded me of a segment from The Crying of Lot 49 by Thomas Pynchon. Sometimes, down on the subway, a train Maxine's riding on will slowly be overtaken by a local or an express on the other track, and in the darkness of the tunnel, as the windows of the other train move slowly past, the lighted panels appear one by one like a series of fortune-telling cards being dealt and slid in front of her. And it looks like a full moon and we're Halloween as well today, aren't we? Yeah. I mean, I can never tell when it's a full moon or whether there's another 28th of it to go or whatever. But it does look full and nice and sort of yellow, isn't it? Yes, it's quarter tan, hasn't it? Kind of matches the inside of people's homes, kind of lit up in the same shade. Perfectly. You can just imagine Batman, Batman silhouette. Yeah, <laughs> like the guy earlier, the silhouette, yeah. This is a cool time to be out, actually. I don't feel like people go out at dusk, obviously for good reason in some cases, but yeah. like, you know, it is a cool time when it's, it can be, it's really quiet. We, I think we've only passed a couple of people know, since yeah, we've been I mean, out. After, yeah, I don't know how we've managed to barely see anyone, you know, for this long, but it's like you said, it's been, it's been a pleasant walk. But yeah, these are the sort of paths I take. And I've got a few friends who live near here. And you know, I might, I might meet, well, lockdown and COVID, but before then, there's an announcement right now, apparently, <laughs> yeah, at the end of this. It's happening, yeah, I've heard about it. I, I don't have a clue what you're saying, <laughs> but I know it's important. <laughs> we'll find out, yeah, yeah we'll, find, we'll find out. There's a pumpkin there, oh, so right. So keeping. people are still trick-or-treating, I mean, and people are still taking the treats, <laughs> fine. What have, you, what have you gone for there? We've gone for, uh, what have we got? Just, uh, yeah, just oh, a like a sherbet lolly yeah, thing, that's yeah. It, that's it. Does that just take you right back to? Yeah, like take even, me right even back. walking through these paths here, I remember um, 
almost maybe two years ago when I was with a friend called uh, Utah. And we were, I think we were, we were heading to tram lines or something. I'm oh, not yeah. too sure, yeah, but we part, we passed through here and again it was a similar, a similar kind of night, similar kind of time. And um, well actually it would have been later on because it was, it was in the summer, but it was just a similar kind of, um, just the shade and stuff was quite similar to this. So, because I've lived there for quite a while now, or in Walkley and just around this area. So, you know, I've got, I've got a lot of, um, you know, just, uh, I won't say amazing memories, but just small pockets of um, yeah. good picturesque experiences. Yeah. Is the best way to describe it, and, could, and you always get good views and just passing through air. Because we're actually back at the, um, you know, this is where we, started. where we started, and it doesn't even feel like that when you. No, no, up. no. That's right. It's it's just nice, quiet suburbs, isn't yeah, it? It is, really? it is really quiet, isn't it? Like it's, it's <laughs> and that's what I like about when we've been doing episodes of Look Closer. You know, yeah. this podcast. We've been in the middle of Manchester. We've been in rural parts of. West Yorkshire and, mm. and now yeah just in the suburbs as well really inspiration to be found everywhere you know that's something I passionately believe it feels like yeah the, the sky's a lot of different colours as well yeah, as, as it yeah. is going darker you can see different nuances of like mm. navy and blue and and then at the other side it's it's just it pretty much is dark it's just yeah. sometimes you think of the sky as just what the same colour but no there's lots lots going on yeah. up there it's a good path, man. I mean, even you just being here, you know, we've explored all different kinds of ideas. So, swings, know, exactly, yeah, exactly. So this is just how it is. Um, Jigsaw, kind of, that's something I'll uh, two silhouettes and, and all of that. So, so this, these are just the experiences I have, just walking yeah. through and around the Philadelphia, uh, Philadelphia Trail, which is kind of surrounded by Upper Fork, Walkley, and um, and it's quiet. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It's always mostly, as they say, it's mostly quiet. And that's why I like taking taking the trail I mean isn't it amazing being a writer and just being able to be inspired wherever you are right yeah yeah, yeah. it's just a gift isn't it because it can really help you out and obviously everyone struggles even writers obviously but <laughs> yeah, yeah. like to just be able to transcend where you are and to look a bit deeper and to yeah. find some beauty where you are like I'm not saying just writers can do that but just it, it's just nice to just have that vision isn't it right? exactly without even really having to leave location i mean obviously you, you go somewhere in your mind but you're sort of still within the same um, you know within the same area and that, that's the beauty of it and i think and i think being able to um and i think what makes a great writer obviously it's all subjective but i think what really contributes to it is um almost being able to go to that place that you kind of described and yeah. you know pull the words back down make a story out of it and just um i sort of arrange it in a way that really kind of excites people's imagination. Yeah, man. And, that's, um, and I think the, the best kind of writers, um, I think they're really good at, um, at doing that. Because I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get probably get a bit too philosophical here, but it's, um, I feel like with words, because I think words to me, I think they're pictures at the end. I think they're pictures really, because they're just scratchings that people make on a page, and we just, you know, you read them, and then, you know, it sort of creates an image. But I think, I think the imagination's super. It's, it's extremely sensitive. And I think all you, yeah, this is why people always say less is more, because all you need is just a few words to point the imagination in yeah. a complete different, you know, direction. That's all you, that's all you really need. So I think... It can um, change your life. Exactly, yeah. And I think really great writers that can bring all of these words together, wherever they've got the inspiration from, arrange it in a way, and just almost position them extremely, let's just say carefully, so that when a reader, you know, reads the story, you know, the words they've chosen and how many words that are on the page... It's just enough for you to, you know, follow the journey that the journey that the writer's created without it being overwhelming, and it's um, that's beautiful. So yeah, so I think that's the mark of a of a, of a really good writer. Just being able to um, steer people's imagination mm. and mm. keep them on that, because I think it's difficult. Yeah. Like I said, it's almost like if you just it's almost like when you, you tap the um, surface of like a puddle or something, you get a huge ripple, and I think that's people's imaginations. And I think yeah. and I think a really good writer is just good at really good at just controlling that sort of ripple if you want to make it that's a positive yeah. way of looking at it and I love that you're a type of creative who doesn't just indulge his own his own creativity and artistic flair but like thinks about the effects and it's like you've got to realise what you're in it for right whether you're in it to cause ripples or control them or whatever mm, mm. or for like people who just are into writing as a hobby it's not quite the same is it they're just wanting to just sharpen yeah. their skills and that's cool as well yeah but, which is cool yeah yeah you know it's not like a 
kind of mission for them whereas yeah, I feel yeah. like if you're born to be a writer you know it don't you right and yeah I feel like you do I feel like eventually you'll, you'll come to it and I like what you said about people who just have it um, for a hobby because I think um, and I think that's important for any kind of art form you're, you're sort of an entertainer that you do I think it's important that you don't feel pressure to have to take it no. that seriously that becomes your life so because I know a few people who literally just create in one way or another because they literally just want to see what they're capable of yeah. and that's it they're not really that concerned about you know putting out you know, sh sh you know sharing it with the entire world and having everyone enjoy it they just obviously they might enjoy it. you know it's a good feeling when someone you know takes in your work and it resonates that's wonderful wonderful but for them it really is just a you know almost just like a sort of mark of like okay what can I do can I, am I able to create this and, and that's kind of it for them rather than it being you know, not everyone's kind of like on where I'm, where I'm. Exactly, yeah. You yeah. know, with me, it's all about getting as many readers as possible and having people enjoy it and taking them through experiences. But like I said, for some people, it really is just that hobby. So they might not look oh. into it as deeply as I did because that's not their, yeah. That's not their mission. Yeah, of yeah. course, of course. And I feel like you'd get different levels of fanaticism. Yeah, 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 of course. You know, yeah, that's the uh, word. Between yeah. us, not that it's a competition, you know, <laughs> like, who's the most passionate. You know? No, no, God, no. And that's it for another edition of Look Closer, the Found Fiction podcast. Thanks to my special guest, Akeem Balogun, who took us on a creative journey around his neighbourhood in Sheffield. Before we say goodbye, we've got a couple of pieces of found fiction news to tell you about. We were really proud to take its proper art to London. This was our street literature project, which imagined everyday places as works of art. We worked with Akeem, as well as two London-based writers, Joanna Derry Hall and Alex Pete Tompkinson to create these faux art gallery displays. The one we displayed at Chelsea Arts Club has been made part of a mural on the front of the building, which is a great honour because it'll be up for at least six months. Another great project we were excited to take part in recently was the East Leeds Gift Exchange. This was a collaboration between Our Space and East Street Arts and ourselves, and we basically coordinated a creative gift exchange for residents of Mabgate. Lincoln Green and Bermontoffs in Leeds. The aim here was to connect people across the city through creativity. Each participant was paired with a match and asked to create an artistic or craft-based gift for someone else in the neighbourhood taking part. It was a really great project to be part of, kind of like a lockdown secret Santa and we're excited to be doing this again with Space 2 and we'll reveal much more about this very soon. Finally, you might remember Street Stories, the project we ran in Quarry Hill in Leeds where we installed super short stories in public spaces. We're now hoping to take this nationwide. We've applied for funding from Historic England to bring Street Stories to three cities across the UK. So fingers crossed we get that funding. We'll let you know if we do in the next podcast. That's all we've got time for this time. Until next time, make sure you stay positive, connected and kind. Thank you for listening to Look Closer, the Found Fiction Podcast. Love the cases, love the clauses, love the adverbs, and the antecedents. Love the words. From ELFM. You're listening to Love the Words here on East Leeds FM. Thank you so much there to Steve Clarkson talking to Akeem Balagun in the fifth found fiction podcast for the rest of love the words tonight we've got a selection for you working backwards at the end we've got a story from pam hilton and then we're going to feature some work by young people over the summer we did a series of walks through our local community in seacroft with young people and older people a mixture of all ages in fact um, it was a real chance for people to get together in safe conditions talk and celebrate place where they live. We're going to hear um, a selection of interviews that I did during one of those recent walks led by Matthew Bellwood, the storyteller and writer. But first of all, we're going to hear uh, some writing that young people did in a taster session or two last week. 
Young People from Chapel FM Arts Centre. I remember making the first footprints on crisp new snow. I remember running through fields of daisies. I remember searching for seashells on long sandy beaches. I remember quiet rooms with shelves stacked high with books. I remember battling the frosty night air with warm blankets. I remember peaceful afternoons doing absolutely nothing. I remember sweet smelling flowers dancing in the breeze. I remember the views from the top of trees I struggled to climb. I remember small campsites in remote places. I remember seemingly magical forests in the middle of nowhere. I remember watching lost balloons fly over the houses. I remember taking picture after picture of objects that caught my attention. I remember staring at pieces of art and being confused. I remember staring at buildings towering above me. I remember laughing so hard it was difficult to breathe. I remember dancing crazily just because I could. I remember being fascinated by the simple idea of travelling the world. I remember reading my favourite book for the first time. I remember listening to music all day. I remember smiling so hard my face hurt. The tiger. A truly majestic creature, the alpha in the jungle and for good reason, moving with a fluid grace that no other animal can match, radiating power through, though padding silently. Muscles ripple when she walks, mysteriously camouflaged in the turquoise overgrowth, able to creep up on any creature run astray. Phantom silent and melts into the background like molten gold into a cast, finding a good ambush site and lurking in the shadows. If you catch a glimpse of her omen stripes, you better run, as those outsized paws and thorn-shaped claws rip at you, it's all but over. The Tiger Cyan intrigued otter feeds local man. Earlier today, a local resident of Kanasawangisava side village was force-fed by a cyan-intrigued otter. Police are still on the lookout for the otter, as I suspect the man was not the only victim. We have received a statement this morning from the otter's lawyer. In this statement, the lawyer mentions that the acts of the otter were completely legal as the man was already provoking a fight with the otter. Natural Higher Elements was a new shampoo line from Neurogena, which claimed to heal and repair hair. The advertising campaign started earlier this year 
starring an intrigued Cyan Otter, who was later involved in a feeding controversy, leading the campaign to be closed. Flower rain. Ever wish the summer flowers could last till autumn? Now they can with the new and exclusive flower rain rocket. Be amazed as the rocket goes up at a dazzling speed of 200 miles per hour. It then explodes into a beautiful flower shaped sparks that last there for five whole minutes to put on a show about their lives. Heavy metal rock rocket. Want to bring the music outside? Do it with the heavy metal rock rockets. These fireworks change colour as they speed up into the distance and then explode with a loud bang of pure heavy metal that the whole neighbourhood can hear. A perfect way to get out of those long boring neighbourhood meetings. Step into the fantastical firework factory and make all your dreams come true. Create your own fireworks with our specialist inventors and bring them home with you to light up the night. That was what the adverts read. That was what enticed me to take the job as supreme fireworks specialist. I was thrilled when I got the job of course, but the word supreme only meant I had longer hours to work and more spoiled children to please. It was a nightmare. The axis of the planet was directly proportional to the orbit, so that at a certain time of the year the North Pole would be pointing directly at the Sun, and the opposite end of the deformed globe pointing directly away. The results a highly exaggerated climate. The air on the surface had a rainbow swirl as if bright inks were dropped into a current with precision. On the skin it felt as silk on a hot day, yet cool and smooth. It folded around your fingers as if it were some magic wishing well. I watched it allowing time to stand still for just a second. I watched it allowing time to stand still for just a second. I watched it allowing time to stand still for just a second. I watched it allowing time to stand still for just a second. You, you guys here. Yeah, yeah. When they built this church, the person who designed this church, what do you think they wanted to do? 
what is to achieve? I think they wanted to worship um, like their, their God and their Jesus. I don't want to sound like anti-religious, I'm just not religious at all, so I don't know how to describe it. So I think they just wanted to worship what they believed in. So they built something where everyone could come and worship what they believed in, no matter what religion. Personally, I just think they wanted to give to the community. I'm just a walk in the dark. So I'm asking people, when things were built, what kind of vision there was behind it. So what you see Brooklyn Towers over there? Yeah. What do you think the vision was the big for that building? Yeah. Probably just this, because especially back then, houses, other than like mansions or things for like royalty, other than that, most houses were like quite small. And I think what they had was I don't know the vision exactly, but like they probably thought that it would be like a house for everyday people, a huge house for everyday people. And it, if there were a lot of them, it would look really big and new and whatnot. Even though obviously the ideas were quite old, it still fits in quite well because there's so many of them. It's sort of normal to see flats here and yeah. like you know just everywhere really. So and it's actually really smart because all it is is just a big block with a lot of rooms and it's just duplicate duplicated on each floor. Yeah. Yeah. It's really easy. I mean, it takes a while, but like. So why, if, if, they, if they said in the old days, several centuries ago, we're going to have a village green, why would they want a village green? What was that vision about? Uh, to be honest, uh, I'm, I'm not sure. Uh. Um, I think it's about families coming together. Uh, like, it's a place for families to come together and like do stuff together instead of like sitting in the houses all, all day and playing board games. Because they were around back then, you know. Oh yeah, man, board games are actually really, like, I think board games are underrated, to be honest. Like, Monopoly and that, you can play for days. <laughs> I love Monopoly. <laughs> so what board games were they playing in the uh, um, it, 1300s? It, was, it wasn't, like, modern board games, it was, like, older stuff. Like... And it's stuff like Pogs. Like what? Pogs. Uh, in that way, like, oh, I don't remember it, but you, like, yeah. stack them up and you throw them down. At uh, chess yeah. as well, that's technically a board game. Oh, chess. I want to learn how to play chess, but... Chess is great game. I could teach you. My father, uh, my father taught, me when I, taught me when I was five years old. Grange is called the Seacroft Grange. Seacroft Grange. Seacroft Grange. What do you what do you think it's the building saying to us? Oh, you see, I, it's going to sound really weird now, but what would it think of what it is now? I know buildings don't think or feel, but if they did, how would it feel? It's gone from like big manor house and like. Legend has it, there's tunnels that run all the way down the green and to Parklands Field. Right, okay, didn't know that. Wow. I mean, I suppose it's been used for something good. It was a ruin, though. You remember it was a ruin. Yeah, no, I remember coming here as a kid with uh, primary school and we used to sketch it out and listen to the ghost stories. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm just a walk on the dog. Talking about like past and future Seacroft, um, one of the things we all know is that uh, trees are needed, air quality is not the best it could be. Um, and I mean, there's plenty of places in Seacroft that have completely empty spaces. Things like Rain Park, Arthur's Rain, Wybeck um, Valley Way, all that kind of stuff uh, that would be perfect for planting trees because they are basically just empty fields and if you think you can contribute to better air quality why not plant more trees that's something we've always needed and that's something we continue to need carriageway here massive big building works what do you think was the intention and the vision behind the architecture i have absolutely no idea i'm not exactly an expert and all that jazz but i think technically when it was built would definitely have a factor in it if it was built sort of 80s 70s eight anywhere between the 60s and the 80s a lot of architecture back then was quite brutalist yeah Partly because of the threat of nuclear war and more buildings would stand up to blast heat and fall out if there were more sort of concrete architecture. Right. And you think we 
just talking about, yeah, we're talking to James about how you get a different view depending on whether you're walking or cycling or skateboarding. Oh. What were you saying about skateboarding? I was saying it's, it's so different. You feel completely connected to the ground. Um, whatever the surface is like, it feels like a part of you. Mm. Um, so you become more aware of where you can and can't travel. It's the same with the bike. So, uh, been running the theatre group, and uh, they've been struggling a bit with mental health at the moment in lockdown. So, uh, the only way I know how to get through this is we're going to challenge it head on, we're going to do a piece around it. And my idea for the piece is a visual representation of mental health. So, using physical theatre to physically embody different mental healths that we all suffer with. And the idea is it for it to be like a sort of like an experience. So uh, I sort of designed the beginning. So the audience comes in, sits down, and we take a look in depth of what mental health feels like, not just what it is. Um, that's as far as I've got in designing it. Love the commas, love the apostrophes, love the colons and the question marks, love the words from East Leeds FM. No, no, little, no, no, little, per amarti, no, no, little, per Frog in a Bog by Pam Wilson Does it hurt, Grandma? asked Lily. Well, yes, said Grandma. I'm afraid it does. But I think if I just keep still and don't do anything today, it'll be much better by tomorrow. Lily smiled sympathetically and tried hard not to mind. She was six and loved staying at Grandma's. It was fun and they always found lots of things to do. Picnics by the beck, hide-and-seek in the woods, blackberry-picking in the old quarry. But Grandma had sprained her ankle playing badminton, so none of the usual activities were possible today. She'd already explored Grandma's huge dressing-up cupboard, and after a morning as a princess, was now dressed as a witch, in a black satin cloak and pointed hat with a small bat attached to it. But now it's raining really hard, said Lily sadly, so we can't even go out in the garden. What we need, said Grandma, is a diversion. Something to keep us busy and cheer us up. Why don't you go up to the attic and look in the old trunk? You won't be able to lift it, but choose a few things you like the look of and bring down what you can carry safely. The trunk, Lily always thought this was such a funny word for a suitcase, was so old it had belonged to Grandma's father and it was full of all the old books that Lily's mummy had never been able to give away. Usually Grandma chose a selection to put by Lily's bed, so being allowed to go and look for herself was really a bit special. She was gone for a long time and Grandma was beginning to wonder if she might have a quick nap when Lily reappeared with an old basket full of books. I put them in this so I could carry them safely, she explained. How very sensible, said Grandma. Well, what have you found? Lily tipped the books out on the floor. There seemed to be plenty for an afternoon's reading. What would you like to read first? she asked. Oh, said Grandma, I'm doing the reading, am I? What about you? I'm doing the listening. 
Well, I have a better idea, said Grandma. Why don't we take turns? I'll read one to you, and then you can read one to me, and I'll help if you get stuck with any tricky words. This plan was a great success, and they both enjoyed themselves enormously. Grandma read The Tiger Who Came to Tea, Cousin Blodwin's Visit and The Tailor of Gloucester, and with just a little help, Lily read The Three Little Pigs, Funny Bones and Meg and Mog. This last one was far and away her favourite, and probably part of the reason she dressed up as a witch for the afternoon. I'm making a spell, she chanted, frog in a bog, bat in a hat, snap, crackle, pop and fancy that. She danced round the living room, waving a paintbrush as a magic wand and pointing it hopefully at Grandma. Suddenly, Lily stopped. Grandma, she said, maybe Meg's spell would make your poorly foot better. Grandma looked doubtful. Meg's spells don't always come out quite right, do they? she said. You might accidentally turn me into a caterpillar. They do sometimes, said Lily, clearly determined to put her plan into action. Now all we need is the ing... What's that word, Grandma? Ingredients? Yes, the ingredients for the spell. Grandma pointed to the witch hat, which had fallen off during the spell-making dance. Oh, yes! Bat in a hat! Now all we need is a frog in a bog and something that goes snap, crackle, pop. Grandma explained that snap, crackle, pop was probably something to do with an old slogan for a breakfast cereal. But Lily concluded that a packet of crisps would probably be just as snappy and crackly. The frog in the bog was more of a problem. Peering through the window into the rain-swept garden, Lily could see no sign of a frog, and she wasn't very sure exactly what a bog was anyway. It's sort of squelchy grass with soft mud underneath, Grandma explained. It looks like a field, but if you walk on it, you sink in and your shoes fill with muddy water. I know, it often happens when I go for a walk. Just the sort of place a frog would like. And, she added with a chuckle, do you know, when I was a little girl, it's what the boys at school used to call the loo. The look on Lily's face convinced her that she probably shouldn't have mentioned this, and Grandma hastily suggested that as it was tea time, the problem could safely be left till next morning. Hoping that Lily would have forgotten all about the frog and the bog by then. But Lily did not forget, and at bedtime she was still thinking about where to look for both of them. Suddenly there was a small scream from the bathroom, followed by a cry of delight. Oh! Grandma! Grandma! Come and look! I found one! As quickly as her sprained ankle would allow, Grandma hobbled to the bathroom to find Lily pointing excitedly to the lavatory pan. Look, Grandma! she squeaked. A frog in the... No, a frog in a bog! Poor little frog, said Grandma. He must have been washed into the drains by the heavy rain. We must rescue him and put him out in the garden. But we can use him in the spell first, can't we? said Lily. He won't mind being part of a spell as a thank you for rescuing him. She grinned. What a good job I didn't wee on him. After some discussion about whether the spell needed to be made whilst the frog was still in the bog or could be rescued first, the little frog was persuaded to creep into a small glass dish. Lily assembled all her ingredients and duly enacted the spell, which Grandma assured her would take an hour or so to work properly. Then she took the little frog outside and freed him into the wet garden. At last, Grandma took Lily upstairs and kissed her good night. Do you think the spell is working, Grandma? she asked. Do you think your ankle will be better tomorrow? I'm sure it will said Grandma. 
And of course, it was. Now must leave.